Hello everybody, my name is Ron, and this is Ron's Gotta Talk for Wednesday, 15th of March, 2023. In today's episode, we got plenty of things to talk about, as always, like every other week. We got new, new gadgets to talk about, some hot takes, and some leaks and rumors, because that's what it's all about. Uh, today's episode, we got, uh, we, we're going to talk about Samsung's, apparently Samsung is faking those moonshots you get when you use the space zoom feature on the S23 for Ultra and the other phones with those 100x space zoom functionality. So we're going to talk about it in brief and uh, give you my thoughts on that uh, hint. Um, they should just be upfront about it, to be fair. On top of that, uh, while, all while Samsung is showing off some new mid-range phones that you definitely should check out if you're in the market for those. Along with that, we got some leaks of the Google Pixel 7a and the 8 series and towards the end we're going to probably talk about uh, some EVs and uh, as I talk about uh, Kia sort of partly showing off their new EV9 SUV. It looks pretty cool and again we're going to talk about all this in today's episode so without further ado let's get rolling shall we? Right first up Samsung. So uh, they've kind of been the talk of town in the world of smartphones because of one small issue that's kind of blown out of proportion or has been a quite serious problem no matter how you look at it. If you're obviously into your smartphone photography, it's quite a serious problem because it kind of overly adjusts your expect. It probably shoots your expectation into a whole other world. I'm probably talking about the controversy regarding the uh, pictures you take of the moon from the S23 Ultra and probably by this extent the S22 Ultra and that being fake or modified and tweaked and again the best way to describe it is those pictures of the moon have kind of been artificially tweaked uh, especially as I said uh, those pictures taken using the space zoom functionality on the S23 Ultra so there's a user on Reddit uh, known as u slash iBreakPhotos who posted five days ago a post on the uh, Android subreddit uh, kind of mentioning how um, as I said the zoom lens lets you take breathtaking moon shots and they look int wonderful and kind of like DSLR quality but it was too good to be true according to him and so he put it to the test he took a high-res picture of the moon uh, downloaded it from the internet um, and then downsized it, tweaked it, and then obviously put it on full screen and went to the other side of the room, turned all the lights off, took, uh, used his phone, used his S23 Ultra, zoomed right in, okay, in the post it says, okay, uh, you, you, this phone zooms right in and takes, tries to take a photo and it comes out crystal clear. Now, um, it might look good, again, surprising because the actual photo is quite blurry. And so, what happened? You're probably wondering. So, Samsung apparently is using an AI model or a mode is switched on by default called Scene Optimizer, which basically is tweaking the overall photo of what looks like the moon and adding quite a lot more details, tweaking and adding uh, details and subjects that shouldn't really be there in the first place, uh, in a sense. It's quite an extreme, it's basically AI being used to a dramatic extreme beyond relief, which is kind of shocking to say the least but according to him too long didn't read Samsung's using AI or machine learning uh, a neural network training hundreds of images of the moon to recover add the texture of the moon on your moon pictures and while some think that's your camera's capability it's actually not and that's his words not mine so that's pretty interesting 
And as and again, he probably goes on to reiterate that it's not sharpening or adding detail or multiple frames. Um, it really is tweaking and again, adding uh, bits to the picture. It's quite hard to explain this really, unless you're a photography expert or you're good in your, if you're good at photography. Uh, but as I said, um, it's not even interp interpolation to say the least. But again, it's using AI to kind of add detail that shouldn't really be there and it should kind of be normal. So yeah, as I said, um, weirdly enough, Samsung kind of talked about it and explained it on their on a forum, uh, which was uh, which was all in Korean, but I read the English translation. I'll link it in the show notes so you can check it out in a way. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. And according to Samsung, uh, quote, the moon recognition engine was created by learning various moon shapes from full moon to crescent moon based on images that people actually see with their eyes on Earth, and then uses deep learning to sort of, you know, tweak it down uh, to sort of make to make it learn what the moon kind of looks like when you take a photo uh, when when as as a photo, and then obviously when you take a, a picture of the moon, it tweaks it. As I said, adds details in a way, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, but then again, uh, on top of everything, Samsung then clarified a little bit that quote, and it then obviously uh, let's just say that earlier today Samsung posted. A sort of blog post explaining what happened, what the whole debacle really is, uh, in that uh, quote unquote, um, Samsung Galaxy cameras combine super resolution technologies with AI technology to produce high quality images of the moon. So they kind of confirmed it that yeah, we use AI. Um, but yeah, they also then explained how this algorithm kind of works. So it sort of learns all the moon pictures that have been taken in mem in eternity. And then I said Adelores image as an example uses a enhancement engine uh, to the best of my understanding of AI, a neural network kind of, and runs it and sort of adds detail and then gives you a updated image that looks quite crispy even though it really isn't. It's basically AI adding, uh, adding a bit more detail as I've said earlier. But yeah, according to 9to5 Google, and I think I would agree with them too in this one, AI is what makes these moonshots possible, and pictures like these really show us how just how aggressive that AI is and how easy it is to fool. A blurry image of the moon is technically what the camera is already seeing, so it does make sense that the result of taking a picture of a blurry image of the moon will result in something sharper. It's not a result, it's not creating the image out of nothing, and it needs the image from your smartphone sensor to then use the AI to create the final shot. You can sort of compare it to a puzzle. Putting together a thousand piece puzzle would be incredibly difficult if you didn't have the artwork on the box to help out. Similarly, Samsung's pictures aren't entirely original and they're also not completely fake. Uh, so I think they well ex quite well explained it to be honest. Alright, so what we have here is basically Samsung has used AI to kind of give you a sharpened up image of the moon. Uh, on your phone, and the, basically the picture you take from your phone, what well, would be the shot of the moon zoomed out, zoomed out 100x, um, is sort of the reference, and then the AI sort of the, the AI model kicks in, in the background, adds in details, sharpens up, adjusts adjusts uh, detail, and again adds bits and bobs as I say that in layman terms to make the moon shot seem more impressive than what it actually is. And um, 
to be honest with you, it's a little deceptive. You know, like Sam's, especially for given the fact that Samsung's been marketing the capability to take uh, moon photography like a pro, but not really disclosing that, oh, we use AI and stuff early on. So it's quite deceptive, to be fair. And um, yeah, I mean, as I said, um, what can I say? It's just that I think Samsung should be upfront about it. They should really be uh, quite clear and and kind of disclose that, well, we use an AI mode and should give people the option to turn switch it off if, if it's a bit intimidating or uh, it's going to be quite horrible or give, give people the ability, maybe in a future update, who knows. But um, yeah, as I said, um, really, um, and also it's crazy how uh, that AI really works on even like a made-up picture of the moon. There's also MQHD and Mr. Who's the Boss made videos on this and really uh, took it through its paces. We tried to test the claims and um, Mr. Who's the Boss especially, he kind of, what he did in, in his video, I'll recommend you go check it out. What he did kind of is he took uh, a picture from the internet of the moon, a high-res shot, and then he added a little uh, sort of a monochrome detail let's just say monochrome, uh, you know, icon of Rick Astley, the Rick Roll guy, kind of puts it black and white, put it right into the moon, and then picked that up and even sharpened it up. It's so ridiculous. So yeah, but for me really all, uh, as I said, uh, regardless really, it's just the fact that I think Samsung really needs to be upfront about it. Okay, they obviously up, uh, clarified to people that, yeah, we actually use AI, we have modes available. You can turn it off, obviously, if it's intimidating. But um, as I said, I think this wouldn't have been a bigger controversy had Samsung been quite clear and upfront like other brands where other brands at least sell you want. They do tell you, oh, we use this AI features there, AI this, AI that. It's a jargon that the technology is there. It's running in the background. I feel that, as I said, Samsung obviously pulled a pretty fast one here in that um, they had to sell people on some killer feature and in the process they kind of forgot to disclose or be upfront and also people are quite wary of AI because we're using it in everything these days uh, just yesterday GPT-4 was shown off and the detail you can extract the, the detail more detail the prompt you give to GPT-4 and the outputs it gives yeah I mean people are quite wary and are skeptical it's to say so and also let's face it smartphone sensors are not as sophisticated as we love to assume there's a limit, you know, there's a physical limit. And so software kind of uh, gives you the extra mile, the extra edge, let's just say that. Um, but as I said, I feel that Samsung, all jokes aside, should, and all, all facts aside, Samsung should really be uh, quite clear and really uh, up, be upfront and kind of tell people that, hey, um, we have this mode switched on by default. We have the, the an algorithm uh, that is doing the processing and uh, again give people the option quite clearly to flick it on and off um, but yeah the fact that obviously people made a big fuss out of it uh, this shows you as I said how much people are scared of AI on the flip side but as I said um, you can't trust smartphone photos that much I mean as I said if you really really want to take proper actual photos and I probably come to that conclusion also partly um, I don't know, buy an actual camera, actual mirrorless camera with a large sensor that gives you incredible detail and really lets you take a lot of uh, insight. But yeah, um, as I said, it's not really much of a controversy. It's just the fact that uh, Samsung as a brand, they were really sneaky and uh, it's quite uh, distasteful. 
it's quite uh, it's uh, but yeah it's kind of shocking uh, because the way they kind of marketed it, it you'd think it's basically the, the phone's hardware has been so impressive it's processing uh, was really really impressive that it managed to pull it off but in reality um, you know AI obviously saved the day but as I said I think you could say it sent the wrong impression in people's hearts and minds this is this is how I feel really uh, but yeah I really sent the wrong message to at the wrong time possibly if you think about it and also uh, now obviously some people will really look at Samsung's cameras a little bit more differently when you compare it to other brands but yeah I really sent the wrong message and as I said they should be quite transparent about it Alrighty, moving on from uh, AI-based moonshots to mid-range phones, Samsung has shown off its new A54 and A34 5G variant phones. Both have 5G, in case you're wondering. That's in the, that's not right on the packaging, so that's pretty cool. These are basically Samsung's latest A-series phones, and um, they've got a lot of tweaks. Firstly, you have high refresh rate displays uh, on both phones, uh, to say the least. On top, you have improved cameras, really. And again, you look at the competition, this really is Samsung's answer to the broadening competition with beefed up processors, cameras, display, and again, priced quite competitively as well. So if you read over specs, uh, first, let's talk about the A34 5G. As I said, both phones, uh, this is a big change, both phones have 5G and improved processors and um, better cameras, and let's just say, uh, 120 hertz refresh rate so um the a34 comes at 6.6 .6 inch infinity u super amoled display basically u-shaped front notch with a 12 30 megapixel camera along with uh, on top of that it's a 6.6 .6 inch amoled 100 1000 nit display i was about to say 100,000, but it's a thousand nits in case you're wondering fhd plus 120 hertz refresh rate Dimensity 1080 chip, so that's pretty interesting. Six or eight gigabytes of RAM, 120 or 256 gigabytes of storage, 5,000 million power battery with 25 watt wired fast charging. And um, as I said, IP67 water and dust resistance, an on-screen fingerprint sensor, which you don't see on phones of this price tag, or you'd find it on obviously phones over t uh, to over $200, it's actual price tag, so that's pretty cool. Another awesome mid-range phone in a way, uh, but the cameras are pretty interesting. The A34 comes with an 8 megapixel ultra wide sensor, 48 megapixel main, f1.8 with optical mid stabilization, and a 5 megapixel macro, f2.4. Uh, and as I said, uh, comes with Android 13 out of the gate and weighs 196 grams. Quite straightforward as a mid-range. Uh, again, a little bit lower powered compared to the A54. On the other hand, which has a 6.4 inch infinity o or as said a, a square dot display uh with this uh, punch hole notch uh, generally thousand nits fhd plus and 120 hertz uh, dynamic refresh rate so it can go from as i said one hertz probably all the way up to 120 so that's pretty cool in a way uh that is so that's pretty and as i said or generally speaking it, you can tweak the refresh rate uh, down to 60 to save on battery life. Has the Exynos 1380 chip, 8GB of RAM only, uh, on the other hand, and 128 or 256 gigs of storage. Either way, 5000 mAh battery with 25 watt fast charging, 
and um, yeah Android 13 and IP67 water and dust resistance and an on-screen fingerprint sensor uh, in a way as for cameras the A54 comes with a 12 megapixel ultrawide camera 50 megapixel main 50 megapixel main sorry with OIS uh, and 5 megapixel macro with f2.4 aperture uh, and this is on top of a 32 megapixel f2.2 camera so yeah that's the interesting part and the best part is both phones come with micro sd card support so if you kind of been missing that on the s23 phones you can get this instead if you don't care about the processor or cameras this has micro sd card storage uh, and it said if you don't care about cameras or processors or those moonshots by the way it's an awesome phone as in the marketing for this phone so yeah um the key differences between both phones the a54 is probably the higher end of the two and again targets probably the those who want to pay a bit more money for their phones but as i said don't want all the bells and whistles just want a polished and awesome experience as i said i'm not going to overdo that i promise but as i said it's kind of an awesome experience uh, you get a small dis smaller display but as i said you have um a thousand nit uh display um gorilla glass 5 uh an ip67 water and dust resistance the same could be said for the a34 in a way you get a larger sensor camera on the 54 as we call it um and a bigger front-facing camera um the same battery as a50 uh, sorry as the a34 and the same micro sd card support you get up to one terabyte of storage ex expandable so that's pretty cool in a way you can see i'm clearly nerding out of these details but it's kind of an awesome phone in a way and as i said uh, you get the uh, but as i said what we look at really with the a34 and a54 5g both phones have 5g by the way in case you missed it is that they're two similarly powered phones targeted at two different kinds of audiences the a34 is a more enthusiast kind of phone with the beefier processor and uh, as i said uh, with um the slightly bigger display in a way uh, so more for those diehard power users whereas the a54 is more for casuals and those who really want to pay a little bit more for their phone as i said but as i said want an all-around experience with better camera and so honestly it really boils down to those factors of what you use your phone for if you're about the crispier camera the a54 makes sense on paper the a34 it's got a bigger display it's not noticeable but it's slightly bigger uh it's a touch bit bigger and you get a beefier processor better good for gaming and again uh, running through multiple apps at once uh so yeah as i said uh, both come with android 13 and again samsung's usual software support so that's good to see if you live in the us you can get the a54 for 450 bucks and again uh the a uh that's just in the us alone if you live in europe or in the united kingdom um the a54 uh okay the a this is so confusing really but they but the a34 will cost uh, 350 pounds whereas the a54 will cost 450 pounds generally uh, so this is over, well over 400 dollars for these phones and if you want double the storage this was for the 120 gigabyte variant if you want double the storage expect to pay a touch bit more we're talking 500 pounds for the a54 5g with 256 gigabytes of storage and the a34 for about 400 pounds so honestly i've as i've said on paper i've not used the phone really uh, but on paper it really depends on what matters to you as a user at that price point what do you what what do you care about more 
If you want the cameras, day 54 makes sense. But as I said, storage shouldn't really matter. 120 gigabytes will get you through for those users on that budget. But again, you have the micro SD card support. So really, the the 256 gigabyte variant will not really uh, make a big difference. Let's just say that. But yeah, if you really want these phones, they'll be available starting March 30th from Samsung. So as I've been looking for mid-range, you definitely might want to check this out. It's a pretty interesting phone. And um, I don't want to harp on the marketing, but kind of an awesome phone nonetheless. All right, before I move on, one thing I want to add is the A54 has the dynamic refresh rate functionality, whereas the A34 just has 120 hertz display. But as I've said earlier on, um, both phones, you should be able to tweak the refresh rate down to 60 to save on battery life. All right, moving on, let's talk about Apple and their ARVR headset. We kind of know that it might be coming to WWDC this year. It will probably be released this year or next year, but uh, we're already getting more scoops and leaks regarding Apple's um, ARVR headset, as we'll call it. Um, it's going to be an ex pricey one, that's for sure, but it'll have some cutting edge features that we have not seen on other ARVR headsets, including dual 4K OLED displays and uh, and eye and hand tracking uh, built in. So that's pretty interesting. And some are saying that it could, it will also be like, be utilized as a, dis, as, a, as, a, as a Mac display apparently. And again, have a two hour battery life with uh, external battery packs. So that's pretty interesting. But yeah, um, we've kind of, kind of gotten leaks of the, of the ARVR headset, not in full of course, because Apple is obviously known to be quite secretive and they're obviously going to disclose that they're making this product. But uh, a leaker by the name of Mr. White on Twitter uh, shared what purportedly looks like parts from the ARVR headset, uh, especially what may look like display cables. They're shaped kind of to go around the lenses. So that's pretty interesting in a way. And, uh, but as I said, some people are saying that it could possibly be the parts for the microphone array and the HomePod speaker. You never know. It might not, it may be the case. So, uh, you may want to take this with a grain of salt for this one, uh, in a way. And I think the first one kind of looks like, um, the sensors, who knows? So as I've said, these photos, these leaked parts could kind of be from prototype and may not really be in the final version as um, if, you, if you've kind of worked on the ARVR headset, you kind of do know there's no display cables that are running around the lenses. But as I said, this uh, you might want to take this, as I said, with a grain of salt. And while we're already talking about the headset, uh, a report in the Financial Times came out uh, earlier this past weekend talking about the ARVR headset, this mixed reality headset Apple's working on. Uh, apparently, uh, there was like two sides of Apple that really fought on what a device should be. Um, there was the operations team that was run by Apple's vice president uh, or VP, SV, senior vice president, Jeff Williams, who wanted a technologically advanced VR headset, let's just say that as soon as possible, even if it's bulky or expensive. And then there was a design team that wanted a lightweight AR glasses. And let's just say the operations team won out because they wanted to quote unquote and according to the financial times here apple's operations team wanted to ship a version one product a ski goggle like headset <coughs> vr headset as we'll call it um, 
from that point of view, that allow users to watch immersive 3D video, perform interactive workouts, or chat with realistic avatars through revamped FaceTime. You know, I mean, if you know realistic avatars, that's basically um, an emojis. Anyways, but Apple's famed industrial design team had cautioned patients wanting to delay until a more lightweight version of AR glasses became technically feasible. Most in the tech industry expect that to take several more years, which kind of makes sense to be fair. But yeah, and it's not surprising given that the uh, supposed product's name potentially would be the Apple Reality Pro. And it will be very expensive, but there'll be a lot of people who end up scooping it up because it's an Apple product. That's the problem, but oh well. I mean, that's people's, you know, buying habits. You can't do anything about that. But yeah, uh, but also this is quite significant given the fact that this will essentially be the second or third, in that sense, major product release for Tim Cook as CEO, given that he resided over the launch of the Apple Watch and the HomePod, and that all happened after Steve Jobs' death. So this is quite significant. If they screw this up, this will, again, this will signal, uh, it'll send a me another message for Apple, uh, from Apple to the whole wide world. But they got to get this right, let's just say that. And, um, but yeah, I, I guess the approach of launching a, a bulky, expensive headset that is good for developers, uh, essentially a V1 for developers, for those using the Mac, and for VR development and content creation, it kind of makes sense. But as I said, the AR concept is many years behind, uh, many years, we're many years away from it being uh, viable, let's just say that. So uh, again, this also is to be taken with a grain of salt, in my own opinion. Alrighty, moving on, let's talk about Google Pixel. First up is actual stuff from Google, a feature drop. So this is a software update with new features on the Pixels. If you have one, you definitely want to update and check it out. First up is Night Sight. So you get a faster processing version of it on the Pixel 7 series phones. The Pixel 6 can now do Night Sight without any issues. And again, a little bit more faster because the processing has improved with improved algorithms. So that's pretty cool in a way. And then second thing to add on top of photos is Magic Eraser. It's now available on all Pixel phones, unlike initially that was on the Pixel 7 series, but now it's on all the Pixel lineups. So that's pretty awesome in a way. Uh, there's also Direct My Call, which is available on Pixel 4a and above. And that allows you to really see many options uh, on the most popular toll-free numbers in the United States. Uh, you have Health Connect built in now, so that's pretty cool. Uh, so if you have fitness data, it can store. It be. It can be. It'll be stored right on device. Let's just say that. So uh, there's no need to send it to the cloud. Let's just say that. Now you can uh, set timers across all your Pixel devices without unlocking your phone. I don't know if it's a useful feature, but again, it goes a long way. Uh, now the Pixel Watch comes with a fall detection feature, kind of like the Apple Watch. So that's pretty cool, in a way. And uh, you get support for ultra-wideband digital car keys, like on the iPhone. Uh, dual eSIM support with dual SIM, dual standby on Pixel 7 phones. Uh, 5G support available in India on Pixel phones with this feature drop. And fast pairs available on selected Chromebooks. Plenty of new features, and again, pretty cool. I mean, if you have a Pixel, you definitely want to check it out and update your phone right now to get all those features in a way. But we're going to move on to the juicy bit, which is the leaks, uh, because um, the next Google Pixel phones have been leaked like crazy. 
so first, let's talk about the Pixel 7a um, in a way. So we've gotten the photos, we've gotten the specs, and some details about these phones generally. So um, first up is a um, is a post. Um, the photos for the Pixel 7a been leaked uh, because somebody uh, took um, hands-on pics with the Pixel 7a, and it's quite it's a compact version of the Pixel 7 in a nutshell. If you don't know how. Um, how to best describe it. Uh, someone in Vietnam uh, has gotten the Pixel 7a and basically took a lot of videos and photos of it and that's pretty crazy in a way. But that's not the most, uh, that's not the shocking part of it all. Um, we've gotten a detailed specs leak of the Pixel 7a. According to uh, Dibayan Roy from Gadgets Data on Twitter, uh, the Pixel 7a will come with a 6.1 inch FHD plus 90Hz OLED display and this apparently could be the pictures of that leaked 7A phone from Vietnam from the looks of it. Uh, a, Genser, a Tensor, mind you, a Tensor G2 chip, uh, EFS 3.1 storage speeds, LPDR5 RAM speed, so that's pretty cool in a way, 64 megapixel IMX 786 and a 12 megapixel ultra wide camera on the back, so like the Pixel 7 regular. 5 watt wireless charging, again, nice touch, let's just say that. And will apparently come with Android 13, to say the least. Uh, to say the least. Um, and according to the leaker, uh, the back is not made of plastic. Uh, but as I said, uh, there's no metal frame. So that's pretty interesting. And the camera will come with optical image stabilization. So that's pretty interesting. So it's looking to be one hell of a mid-range phone. Uh, if the leaks are anything to go by. And you're probably wondering when will this come out? According to 95 Google, this is their latest scoop, um, the, Pix uh, the Pixel 7a could be coming in middle of June. So right in the summer, like the past couple of years with the Pixel A series phones. And uh, the Pixel Fold will also be coming in mid-June according to leak listings from a retailer. So that's pretty crazy to say the least. But we haven't even gone to the more interesting bits, which is the Google Pixel 8. Now, uh, Steve, uh, Steve Stoffer, as uh, I hope I did not pronounce his name horribly wrong, known as OnLeaks, uh, along with uh, SmartPre, have leaked the, uh, or my Smart price, sorry, have leaked the Google Pixel 8. And uh, what we go have we've gotten so far is the, the the look of the Pixel 8, the pictures kind of, and uh, it's pretty interesting. Basically, it's like the Pixel 7 series, uh, the best way to describe it, but with rounded edges on the top and bottom. So it's been more rounded out. A little smaller, potentially, but a bit more rounded out. So that's pretty interesting in a way. And it's got uh, cutouts for speaker and microphone, USB-C in a way. Uh, but yeah, according to OnLeaks, the Pixel 8 is roughly 6.2 inch display. And the Pixel 8 Pro is roughly 6.7 inches. So that's kind of accurate, but it looks a bit smaller because it's a bit more rounded on the edges. So that looks interesting. Uh, not childish, let's just say that, but again, pretty interesting if you ask me, uh, that is. Uh, so yeah, we've, got, we've already gotten the leak of the Pixel 8 and 8 Pro. I would probably say this, I would caveat with saying this, I would suspect that Google's probably indirectly leaking these device, uh, these devices to get some publicity and you know get some press for these phones before they launch. But um, I might be wrong. Who knows? This uh, 
they probably have a poor track record of uh, keeping the phones in secret. But yeah, what you can see from the pictures, it's a bit more rounded, uh, for the, uh, a bit more curvier, let's just say that. And apparently, um, the Pixel 8 Pro will only go with a flat display, maybe to make it easy to manufacture. So that's pretty interesting in a way. I mean, it's an interesting phone already, but as I said, these, these are quite interesting leaks nonetheless. Alrighty, moving on to Asus. The Zenfone 10 is coming apparently, and PrizeBuyer has some exclusive scoop on a Zenfone 10 thanks to the leaker or tipster, let's just say, Paris Guglani, who's reported that, uh, who shared some details of the Zenfone 10. First up, it's gonna be launching the fourth quarter of this year, so later this year, pretty much. On top of that, uh, here's the shocking part. This one's gonna be shocking given that the previous Zenfones have been compact, have been known as compact phones because of the display. Uh, this time, uh, the Zenfone 10 is gonna be coming with a 6.3 inch AMOLED 120Hz display. So it's gonna be a big chunky boy compared to the previous Zenfones. But on top of that, uh, speaking of which, it will feature the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. Not surprising given that it's a Zenfone, so it'll come with the latest and greatest Qualcomm chips. Aside from that, uh, it'll come with 16 gigabytes of RAM, uh, 256 or 512 gigabytes of storage, uh, along with a 5,000 mAh battery, which is the standard apparently amongst all flagships in this day and age, would get this 67 watt fast charging. Along with that, it'll feature a 200 megapixel OIS enabled primary camera. We don't have any information about the secondary tertiary sensors, but you can expect it to be, again, some pretty good ones like the ultra wide. This is ASUS ultimately, it's not gonna pack in a useless, a useless sensor, mind you, like another macro or, you know, telephoto lens that will not be used that much. But yeah, it's a pretty interesting phone, but it's gonna be a big one, let's just say that. Oh, and it's IP68 water and dust resistant. Uh, interesting enough. It's going to be coming out later this year, so expect to see or find out more about this phone potentially, but it's going to be a big chunky boy, let's just say that, pretty much. And while we're at it, um, a developer on the internet, a developer by the name of IGP, IGP pretty much, has uh, coded up a, let's just say an installer, let's say a launcher, let's just say, for the Oppo Find N2 Flip that uh, turns the cover display into a full-blown phone with an app drawer. So you can literally open all kinds of apps. You're not limited to the widgets on the hour display. You can literally run any app or widget on the phone, which is pretty crazy if you ask me. Um, and um, if you want to run it, it's a preview version at the moment. If you have an Oppo and Find N2 Flip, you can go over to XDA Developers. There's already going to be a preview version. You can download and play around with it pretty much, but that's pretty crazy. Um, Samsung StockOS is used for the cover screen, weirdly. Uh, it's a launcher, as I've said earlier. It supports all third-party widgets, quick toggles, gestures, you name it, and apparently works on top of Oppo's ColorOS. So that's pretty interesting in a way. You literally can run all kinds of apps on this. You can't run Crisis on it. That's the benchmark. Anyways, uh, but it's pretty interesting. It's called Cover, OS, cover Screen OS. Uh, yeah, you can download this in Google Play Store and give it a try. It's a launcher, so you need to, you know, allow it some permissions and it will run on your display without any issues. So that's pretty cool. And it's cover OS, by the way, all one word, well, all one sentence on the Play Store if you want to check it out, if you have the uh, Find N2 Flip. On the flip side, apparently, get this, 
Uh, Xiaomi is going to be showing off the global variant of the Redmi Note 12 finally on March 23rd at um, 11 p.m. Beijing time or roughly, uh, let's just say, uh, what's 11 minus 7? That would be um, 4 p.m. Europe time and 6 p.m. Bahrain time technically. Uh, and we're, we expect to see multiple variants of the Redmi Note 12. So that's pretty cool in a way. Oh, yeah, 4 o'clock European time. So uh, something, uh, can't wait for the Redmi Note 12. We're going to probably be talking about it in, uh, let's just say, I think it in a fortnight's time. Because next week's episode, we're going to sh- record on Tuesday. So we won't have time to cover the Redmi Note 12. So probably... Uh, a fortnight later than usual. Uh, and interestingly, speaking of mobile phones, um, T-Mobile uh, US is, a, is planning to acquire the parent company behind Mint Mobile, which is uh, which has had a famous brand affiliate, uh, which has had a famous brand ambassador by the name of Mr. Ryan Reynolds. You know him pretty well. He's Deadpool also to most of you. He's kind of been the ambassador of Mint Mobile. You kind of know the brand because he's basically in all the ads and kind of talk about how great it is and I can get unlimited data for like, I don't know, for very cheap. And now T-Mobile is planning to acquire uh, all these brands for a grand total combined, potentially given on the valuation of the parent company up to $1.35 billion and be a combination of cash and stock option. So that's pretty cool in a way. And also help T-Mobile strengthen its prepaid offering given there's already a lot of competition on that end in the U.S. market. You have Visible, which runs on Verizon, and Boost Mobile is owned by Dish. So you have plenty of options. And again, it's cool to see Mint being acquired by T-Mobile. Uh, as for the, that unlimited data for very low price, I don't remember the price for it. Uh, that remains to be seen, given that T-Mobile likes to charge a pretty penny for their data, mobile data and connectivity and their plans really, and for uncarrier plans to say the least. But interestingly, if you really liked Team uh, Mint Mobile because of Ryan Reynolds, he'll kind of stay on as brand ambassador and sort of as a you know as a creative figure for the company for all their marketing campaigns. So that's pretty awesome in a way. And uh, now we're switching gears to, get it, to EVs. Uh, first up, um, BYD and Tesla, apparently, um, BYD has denied uh, reports, apparently, that there's been a bit, bit of a beef between BYD and Tesla for supply of BYD's like blade batteries for the Tesla Model 3. According, this is because the Korean Economic Daily posted uh, posted on Sunday that uh, citing sources that Tesla has not asked BYD for an additional supply of batteries for a certain Model 3 vehicle, and after their supply D expires earlier this year, but BYD has denied it uh, in a statement to Reuters, so that's pretty interesting in a way, and apparently relations between Tesla and BYD are positive. In case you missed it, BYD is a battery, sub- okay, this is according to Elon Musk, um, uh, he's kind of denied it, but apparently Tesla and BYD are on good terms. You may not notice, but BYD supplies Tesla batteries for their EVs. So that's pretty cool in a way. And again, Tesla sources from a broad range of partners, including Panasonic, LG, and the Chinese brand company CATL. So that's pretty cool in a way. Uh, again, for the Model 3 and Y in China. So that's pretty cool nonetheless. Uh, Ford released a video yesterday teasing their uh, crossover EV for the European market, uh, kind of. And it's going to be revealed next week. 
um, pretty much. And this is for the European market, given that it's using Volkswagen's EV architecture, because both companies partnered up for an electric crossover that will be sold at a lower price point than the Mustang Mach-E. So that's pretty interesting in a way. And um, as I said, it's going to be a crossover and it's going to target the European market. So there's nothing interesting to talk about. Uh, and it's going to be real next Tuesday. So that's pretty fun in a way. Moving on, Kia. Uh, so Kia has had an EV, uh, the EV6. It's kind of in a hit as a crossover that kind of looks like a big fat sedan, but also it's kind of like a crossover. And now they also have another EV on the way, the EV9. It's a full-blown SUV, let's just say that, a full six, seven-seater SUV based on the Kia Telltale. In fact, you can say it's the electric version of the Kia Telltale SUV that came out, that launched, actually launched a few years back. So that's pretty cool in a way. Uh, we don't have much to talk about really, but we've gotten pictures of the interior and exterior of the EV9 SUV. First up, it's going to apparently be based on the eGMP architecture. We've kind of known that for a very long time, and you can expect to see dualer single motor options, battery sizes up to 100 kilowatts from say 70 kilowatt hour, built on Kia's electric global modular platform or eGMP, EV9's is long wheelbase, low belt line, and completely flat electric vehicle architecture have facilitated, in their own words, the creation of a generous space for all occupants to connect and relax with com lounge-style comfort in all three rows of seats. Offered in both six and seven seat formats, Kia captured feedback from families to evaluate seating configurations and features to ensure the EV9 delivers quality of space comfort and experience for all occupants while placing all of its focus on the driver. So that's pretty cool. What Kia is trying to say uh, in a way is that the SUV sort of ha will have flat four because it's an EV, it's got batteries underneath, uh, but more than everything, uh, it will come with swiveling seats, so you can swivel 180 degrees in the second row, so you can face uh, folks in the third row, kind of a conversation, so that's pretty cool in a way. And on top of that, you have dual 12.3 inch touchscreens allowing you to control all kinds of features in a way with charging points a wireless pad and much much more and essentially has the striking two-tone finish at the risk of sounding like forest audio auto reviews on tiktok if you follow him you know his in-depth like descriptions um in and interestingly the exterior sort of has polygonal design and noticeably around the fender and also uh the front the rear has slim lights that mirror its front also giving it quote unquote a strong and confident stance um so that's pretty interesting in a way and then the interior is kind of like the striking two-tone finish as i've said earlier kind of like a lot of their suvs these days if you sit in one of them or like the more recent 2023 or 2024 model year telltale uh, suv so that's pretty interesting and that's basically how i can best describe it without kind of going into much further detail uh, but yeah, as so it's an EV, you'll probably get lots of interesting features. As I said, it has a bold for nature design philosophy on the exterior and also on the interior to a degree. So that's pretty interesting in a way. And um, compared to the concept, it's a bit more softer and production ready. But yeah, it's quite a striking SUV and you won't really be able to miss it. Let's just say that. But yeah. Uh, we don't know much about the EV9 um, other than, oh, it will have, um, it's an EV. 
We'll find out next week when they do their launch event for the entire vehicle. They'll obviously mention uh, all this uh, later this year, month pretty much. They'll show off the performance and the battery sizes and things like that. The more granular nitty bitty details that most people want to know because there, there are quite a lot of people who want to buy the CV to say the least. So yeah, but it's going to be an expensive one uh, given that the Telltale, obviously said, is a little, uh, is uh, already well above the $60,000 mark. So the EV one will be a bit more than that. So yeah, it's uh, it's a bit interesting. And as I said, when I say it's going to be pricey, if you look at it, a full full blown SUV, it ain't a Tesla that it'll be very efficient in powertrain, and hence it'll, it'll move on to battery life that it'll last a very long, it'll have a long mileage. Uh, you'd want a triple digit battery for this one, over 90 kilowatt hours at best for this one. So that's just to my humble opinion, in a way. So that's just how I feel. You know, they, this EV is pretty big. And uh, you might want a bigger battery option for this one. Uh, and it's going to be pricey, to say the least. But it's going to be an interesting SUV uh, nonetheless. Alrighty, this leads us to the end of today's episode. What do you think of everything you've heard today so far? The whole moonshot controversy, the EVs, whatever it is that I've talked about. What do you think? Let me know. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Said underscore my own 99. Follow me there if you can. Uh, subscribe where you're listening right now so you don't miss the next episode uh, share this to your friends and family as much as you can we really need more people to listen to this podcast even though it might sound a little poopy but I promise I really love talking about technology and again this is kind of where I can kind of nerd out every single week so all your support is definitely appreciated and um, yeah till next week this is your Bowman signing out uh, where we are what are you up to uh, have a wonderful day ahead and a wonderful weekend ahead. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. And again, stay awesome. All right. Ciao.